Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, as always, we will direct you to our uh, uh, our webpage, but let's think positively first. Uh, hard times always lead to something great. Uh, that was Betsy Johnson, one of the Johnson family. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage that can, to continue that counts. Winston Churchill. Life's challenges are not supposed to paralyze you. They're supposed to help you discover who you are. And that's uh, Bernice Regan. New beginnings are often disguised as painful endings. And that's uh, Lau. All right. There we go. So anyway, like I said, we always uh, talk to, about our webpage. And uh, so we'll just talk about our webpage again. And, um, you know, if you go to WHK1420 and, uh, you know, wander your way to uh, local podcasts and go down to Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes, uh, you'll find, uh, you know, you can go right to my webpage. And if you go right to my webpage, first of all, if you're on a conversation, have a cup of coffee, talk about your portfolio, you can see there's all sorts of contact me, email me. But don't forget, uh, Bob Dickey is under bulletin board. Uh, it's, it's the daily technical analysis. Bob is one of the best technicians on the planet. And then we have insights. There's all sorts of new good information on there this week. Just so uh, it's the you got to hit the insights tab, and then you'll see a lot of lot of good things that uh, can educate you. Uh, you can also get our dividend growth list and our pr- prime income list. So there you go. Uh, p- plus, don't forget the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook. Interest rates are at an all time low, and I mean all time. I mean all time <laughs> low. <laughs> it's the lowest in history. You know of a better time to borrow money? And then a business owner's guide to transition planning. We've helped a couple people already. I think, uh, you know, if, if you're selling your business, uh, private equity, I don't think is, is – I, I think they're trying to get you cheap is what it comes down to. So let, we'll leave it at that. Um, so I, I was looking at things, and uh, if I can find my thing here, uh, the FMOC meeting. Let's talk about that first. Uh, so this week, something happened that uh, I, I think everybody's got to know about. And, um, you know, I, I try to keep you guys fairly, you know, up to date. But, look, if you look at the jolts or the job opening reports, uh, I recovered in August at a slower pace, but it, it's compared to the previous months, it's getting better. And the FMOC meeting minutes – uh, from September's meeting will reinforce the Fed's commitment to keeping rates at zero until 2% inflation is reached. And that, that's going to be a while in Tim's personal opinion. But, um, you know, the initial jobless came, that came on Thursday, a second consecutive week of declining jobless claims. So uh, California putting applications on hold midstream back, backlogs and fraud, however, are, are a problem. And and I think, you know, because of Disney and United Airlines, that type of stuff. But the Bloomberg Consumer Comfort thing came out on the 8th, too. And it's been increasing at a moderate pace following May's lows. So that's uh, something to look at. But if you look at the keeping the, the federal debt manageable, <laughs> uh, the publicly, uh, the interest is now going to start to be bet greater than the total uh, federal debt. And that's, that's probably not a good thing. So uh, now look. What it does do uh, is we got to talk about dividends here, okay? Now, our prime income list and our, our dividend growth portfolios, there's some great buys right now. And, look, one of the things uh, 
I talked about when I had my the show on at first, which is way, way, way back in the 2000s, you know, was that dividend-paying stocks tend to underperform uh, for a period of time, and then they turn. And so whenever we get to this low area where, where they're, they're underperforming by like 10, 15% over the market, it's usually a good time to buy them. And that's where we are now. So dividend-paying stocks have outperformed the S&P 500 over the last 30 years by an average of 1.1% annually. And if you compound that, that's a ton of money, folks. That's a ton of money. So dividend-paying securities can go through long periods of relative underperformance and then just kick into gear. By the way, if they start having capital gains tax at regular income, I ain't selling anything. I ain't buying anything. You know, it, it's going to be a tough scenario. So given the underperformance of dividend-paying stocks in the market this year and the current level of interest rates on bonds and an improving economic recovery, I think, it, you know, it might be time – might be time to start to look at dividend-paying stocks, the prime income list, et cetera, okay? So uh, there you go. All right. Uh, I, by the way, I also think uh, preferreds are kind of an interesting scenario, too, so uh, uh, we'll just leave it at that. Um, so I, I, I was looking at, uh, you know, what if, okay, you know, what what if uh, all the mail-in ballots due to COVID-19 uh, restrictions and health-related concerns screw up the election? Uh, that could create a little bit of, uh, you know, some things going wrong. I mean, if you go back to the 2000 election when we had the hanging chads, uh, it, it started the bear market. Okay? I think the bear market was on its way anyway. I don't think this is the case here. Uh, I think the difference was the Fed was raising interest rates every month. All right. So, look, uh, you know, we had uh, September 1st was the high that year, and it just faded, uh, you know, until it didn't come back. You know, it didn't come back to that level for a long, long time, like 10 years, 15 years. So uh, I think what's going to happen is that, uh, you know, a lot of people are thinking now that, Biden has the uh, advantage, but Biden has the same percentage advantage that Hillary did going into the election last time. So the question is, are the polls correct? Now, there's one poll that's been correct for 20 years or our 20 straight presidencies, and they're saying that Mr. Trump has a one and a half percent lead. So eh, we'll find out, I guess, uh, is, is the, you know, the way to look at it. So look, with the election approaching, I think you got to, you know, how, how it will affect the, the Fed, its policies, and some of the fixed income ideas that we have, all right? So uh, I think you, you have to pay attention to that because election headlines may drive sentiment, but I don't think it's going to uh, – uh, look, I, I still think the Fed's going to be the principal driver of fixed income. It's that simple. So – Unlike the market's traditional view that a divided government is best, we believe in this cycle the most effective and coherent fiscal policy would likely come from a unified government. However, I don't think that's going to happen. That's my opinion. So, uh, you know, we're going to really get, a, if it's a unified government, we're going to real taste of parliamentary uh, type uh, politics. And uh, believe me, the English have <laughs> got that down. So, Look, the credit markets may react ne negatively to uh, a contested election, so we, we could see some pullbacks in there. 
One of the things I am seeing is that I'm on my charts, and I do thousands of charts every week, okay? I look at charts every morning. And one of the things I've been noticing is that the five-year, the 10-year, and the 30-year yield charts have been showing up on my charts. That usually means that things are going up, okay? So it'll be interesting to see if there's a follow-through, and uh, I'm not really sure about that, but, you know, when they start showing up, I start paying attention. And uh, I look, I think the, the the Treasury yields have been in decline for the better part of 40 years, but there have been spikes along the way, okay? And we could be looking at a spike. So I think, you know, that's something you have to take uh, a, a lot of uh, or have concern. You know, I don't think it's the end of the world uh, for, uh, you know, any of this stuff, but it, it a spike up for you fixed income buyers, remember, when you have spikes in yield, that's when you want to buy, okay? I would, I would keep more of a laddered portfolio. I, you know, I'd be buying, you know, maturities as they go up, buy the spikes in yield, if you will. And, and that way, you've always got money coming due. If you don't know how to do that, uh, we've got a fantastic bond desk that'll do it for you. Uh, you just call me at 216-774-8906. That's 216-774-8906. It'll come directly to me. So, look, uh, I, I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit um, about what we're – we had a – well, we had a great, great uh, uh, conference call this week from our apparel uh, late, uh, analyst, and she, she's good. She's very good. And, and, and uh, I'm just going to talk about the macro things. I'm not going to go into any details on any stocks, but I thought it was interesting because she's kind of bullish on a few stocks. So she said the macro, you know, that the coronavirus implications uh, for global revenues and supply chains are big in this group. And the duration of the economic impact from uh, from COVID and the degree of sales bounce back are, as opening continues is a recovery V, U, or W shaped. Okay, and that's what she you know will determine how her stocks do. Uh, now, duration of the wallet share shifts as stimulus clarity lags, but less dis- uh, discretionary dollars allocated to experiences such as dining out and travel. So people are buying clothes instead of dining out is what it comes down to. So, uh, look, there's some secular issues. Consumers shift to uh, online accelerating with uh, e-com penetration approaching almost 30% now. And penetration being pulled forward in the next few years from 20 to 25%. And the pressuring stores on the occupancy front as well as higher shipping and fulfillment costs. So they ain't going to have to have the store anymore, but they are going to have to ship is what it comes down to. So market share shifts are happening on and off the, the mall as fast fashion, off-pricers, and international players continue to expand and drive down apparel pricing. By the way, we have one that Mark Mahaney follows that I think is a great idea right now, but she's talking about the TJ Maxx's of the world and you know those type of things, the gaps and all the others. Now, cyclically, she said uh, she thinks there will be less worse trends going to the second half of, of 2020, uh, Reopens could continue, and but she has some caution going into the fourth quarter given the holiday as a traffic-driven period could slow. Uh, back-to-school start in, in August leading to an extended season in September and October, which was good. Um, but the duration of the occupancy and restrictions and social distancing calls and implications on store traffic offset by higher conversion and baskets. So what she's basically saying is brand margins are accelerating. They're taking control of distribution, pricing, and international growth. You can see that in a couple of different uh, stocks right now. And supply chains are being reexamined. Uh, and the inventory will probably be dynamic, you know, uh, 
and it'll be, it won't be there long is what it comes down to. So you have some uh, pressure on store labor and enhanced uh, uh, costs, but I think if they keep the, the sales and general accounting expenses down, it could be a really good area. So if you'd like a copy of this report, uh, it's it's all about the retailers, folks, and uh, who, who's who's the best and who's not. So uh, it's something to to think about. I I think uh, she has a really good uh, uh, feel for these things. And if you'd like, uh, you just go to the WHK fourteen twenty local podcast, Smart Investor Show, and go. We'll be right back. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. Um, you know, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about commodities today uh, and, and you know, about the ballot. <laughs> uh, today, uh, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, Friday, we, we hosted Beyond the Ballot Policy Discussion with Michael Morrell, and he was the Deputy Director and former Acting Director of the CIA. And Morrell addressed the national security implications of the current presidential health crisis, as well as some multiple foreign policy stuff. So, uh, you know, he, he talked, we talked, we asked this question, any national security threat related to President Trump's contraction of the uh, COVID-19? Uh, he had worried about President Trump's uh, diagnosis. He's not especially concerned about the foreign advisory taking advantage of such a health crisis. So that is number one. Uh, how are foreign intelligence agencies devoting time to discerning President Trump's health status? Morrell uh, believes that Russia, China, and even some U.S. allies are working hard to determine the details of his health uh, because it's, it's important. Uh, a big change in foreign policy, probably, if, if something happens. So foreign policy, a second uh, Trump administration versus a Biden administration. Uh, Morrell seems China as the most critical national security threat facing the United States as Beijing is uh, working to gather as much political and economic influence globally to advance their strategic interests. So uh, you got to be ch- careful of China. Biden, he said the first couple hundred days would likely seal a real attempt to form a comprehensive uh, Chinese strategy, uh, both, you know, military, economic and diplomatic, by the way, I, I think, and all such, you know, and he thinks that the strategy would review, uh, would seek to determine the relevant avenues for cooperation. Now, Trump, Morrell questions the conventional wisdom that Trump will continue the tough talks towards uh, Beijing at the second term. Uh, he might, might, might not, you know. So Russia, Iran, and North Korea. Uh, Russia occupies the second position on Morrell's strategic concern list, but he views it as a declining power due to its serious demographic and economic challenges. Uh, Iran is more of a regional issue, and he believes that a nuclear deal will be struck. Uh, and then, uh, you know, but a Biden administration probably would seek to preserve a degree of pride for Iran. All right. So that, that's what they're all about. So just something to uh, think about. And uh, like I said, it's it's one of those deals where uh, I think, you know, it'll be an interesting election. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. All right. So. Uh, let's talk about some technical issues here. And, and uh, you know, we had Rob Schleimer on this week, and uh, Rob is a fantastic technician. And look, here's some of the points he made, and I thought they were pretty good. He said, look, the long-term cycle backdrop remains positive for equities, and he thinks it's going to be well into 2021. And this is his four-year cycle theory, which 
By the way, if you look back 100 years, works. And he continues to view the pullback that developed in September uh, for the majority of stocks as a normal, healthy pause. And he, he said that, you know, and we said last week that we thought we'd be into the fourth quarter. Well, we're into the fourth quarter, folks. Okay, so the market's starting to turn up. Um, he also, you know, and what he was talking about was the weekly quadrant balance indicator, and it had been oversold and was starting to turn up. So short-term indicators have moved from oversold levels over the last two weeks. Now, one of the things, um, he said U.S. bonds, notably the TLT, uh, especially exchange-traded fund, uh, have kind of peaked. So uh, here's a couple things. The weekly quadrant balance indicator has is down near 20. So uh, it hit 10, and it looks like it's starting to turn up, which would be a positive setting for the S&P 500, by the way. Uh, and then the VIX, the VIX continues to hold its own. Uh, so I don't know what that means. It means fear is still there, which is good. But usually you would, you know, when you get to an end of a bull cycle, you, you would have the VIX down about eight, eight or nine, but it's still in the 30s. So uh, one of the things that I noticed is that if you look at the S&P 500, uh, the advanced decline line just peaked above uh, where it was before. So it's kind of a breakout. Uh, now, the New York Stock Exchange only is not there, and, and all the New York Stock Exchange listed securities, they haven't broken out yet. So it's just the S&P 500. You may recall last week we said the S&P 500 went into a column of X's, right? Uh, now, the VIX or the, the VXN, which is the NASDAQ composite, still has a pretty high uh, – uh, rating. It's up in a, it's over 35. So, uh, you know, you'd like to see that come down. That that may be where the volatility comes forward. And the Russell has broken out two days in a row now. And uh, it does look like on a weekly basis, the, the Russell may be turning up. Uh, the weekly quadrant balance, balance indicator there is turning up nicely. Uh, so it's got rising weekly momentum is what I'm trying to tell you. So that, that's a good thing. If I look at the daily chart, you know, if it got above, I, I think it was 1630 or uh, 1613, that would be a big, big breakout. So uh, something to look forward to. Now, growth first value, this, this is getting kind of interesting. Uh, and, and I'll say this, you know, growth had been leading the way for a pretty long time. But if you look, uh, it's, it's gone sideways versus value for some time. So I'm starting to see some of the industrials, the basic materials and God help us all, the financials, <laughs> finally coming, you know, coming out, all right, uh, which is really important, I think. Uh, you know, the fin- you need the financials to go forward. That's Tim's opinion. That, the other thing I noticed is we now have about 15 or 16 biotech deals or healthcare deals in the last three weeks. And, you know, one of the things that Lori Calcivina talked about was that healthcare is the cheapest it's ever been against the entire market. So those would be areas that I would probably look for, but growth and value are at, at a standstill at this point. So uh, now one of the things is high beta continues to hold the uh, low end of its summer trading range versus low volatility. Low volatility is what you buy when you think the world's going to end, okay? And high beta is what you buy when you think the market's going up big. So high beta is holding its own. It's off its low. Uh, it's not at its high, but it's, it's still looking good. And if you look at versus bonds, uh, it's indefinitely in an uptrend. So uh, some things to think about, okay? Um, Let's see. What else did I see this week? Uh, 
Yeah, you know, if, if you look at the uh, the secular growth pattern of the TLT, which is the 30-year bond, it's two standard deviations above where it should be. So, you know, normally when you go a couple standard deviations above, you're usually going to go a couple standard deviations below or back to at least the zero line. And it'll be interesting to see if that occurs. Now, the other thing I, I, I talked about earlier in the show is that I'm seeing the 10-year, the 30-year, and the five-year yields uh, looking good on the charts. They're showing up on my scans. And, uh, you know, I do about uh, 11 scans a day. Eight of them I pay very close attention to. And uh, so that's, that's, a big, that's a big scenario as far as I'm concerned. So if you look at the relative strength momentum, it's picking up. There's a very positive divergence on the yields now, not the bonds. So when yields go up, bonds go down. Just remember that. So uh, we're, we're starting to see, you know, uh, and, and I'm seeing it across the board. Now, the other thing I saw this week is that the, if you look at Citigroup, you know, they have the economic surprises but they also have the inflation surprise index. Uh, and the monthly has broken up above a major base. Now, it's not a new high, okay, uh, but it's starting to, you know, look like a big rounded bottom. So maybe for the first time in since 2009, we're going to have inflation, all right? This Commodity Research Bureau index is down, was down from top to bottom almost 85%. That, that's a big bear market. Uh, now, the other thing I noticed is, you know, the the – I, I said back in the summer that the dollar was very oversold and it would bounce, and it bounced. Then it bounced again, and it, it came up right to the same spot. So the question is, will that be a double top, or will it turn around? The dollar nor normally anticipates interest rates going higher for a while. So uh, that'll be uh, uh, something to watch over the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see, uh, you know, because the, the dollar – it's got a lot of res uh, resistance at 95.6, let's put it that way, a lot. I mean, it goes back almost uh, two years, so we'll see if it gets through. Uh, now, some other things I've been noticing is that uh, uh, if we look at, you know, some of the sectors, materials are emerging longer term with industrials, so that's a good thing. Remember what I said last week, if, the, if you have gold go up, that's positive. If you have copper go up, that's even more positive. If you have silver go up, that's even better. Silver and copper are industrial metals. Gold always leads the way. And I've been saying that for about a year and a half now. So, uh, so the materials are starting to work. Some of the lag laggers, such as financials and REITs, are showing some early bottoming signs. So, uh, you know, if the financials start getting going, we can be uh, really interested. Now, the, the other thing I'm noticing is it's regional banks that are doing better than the larger banks. Okay, so... Uh, and I'm even seeing utilities starting to emerge, uh, you know, so that, that, that's a group that, you know, we, we were part, kind of poo-pooing about, uh, oh, seven months ago, eight months ago, and uh, it turned out to be the right call. So, um, you know, I am seeing some really interesting charts in the industrial area, and I will suggest that there's probably a great deal of names that, you know, you don't normally hear uh, that are breaking out. And it's a lot of them, you know, so uh, it's names that, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of growth managers will buy, but I think there'll be a lot of value managers making some serious money here. Now, you know, one of the things that's been occurring for the last seven, seven, eight years is that there's been just a certain amount of stocks going up and it looks like that's changing. All right. So the industrials really look uh, interesting to me. 
But I'm also seeing some bottoming formations in like oil and gas. I mean, you know, the oil stocks were up like 3% on Thursday. Uh, so, I, I mean, I had a couple of master limited partnerships were up, you know, 10, 11% on, on uh, Thursday. So uh, we'll see, uh, you know, if that continues. But, uh, you know, I'm starting to see some early signs of bottoming. You know, why would oil bottom? Remember, we talked about inflation, okay? So if gold goes first, copper goes second, silver goes third, oil probably goes fourth, all right? So that, that would be a big positive. It may be just a bounce. Don't know. Uh, we don't know. But I am starting to see some really good stuff in, in um, some of the uh, regional banks. A lot of them are, have broken, you know, bounced off their 50-day and 200-day moving averages and have bounced up. Uh, that's a big positive, I think. Uh, because if you get the regional banks going, then the big banks will go, and you need the banks for any kind of long-term bull market. Trust me. And, uh, you know, the Dodd-Frank bill, I think, put a, a kibosh on a lot of these things. But uh, there we go. Now, I'm also seeing some large-cap uh, biotechs that look good. Uh, one that has like a 4% dividend looks like it's major, making a major double bottom, uh, probably our favorite stock. And so we are seeing a lot of neat things. Look, we're going to take a break. If you got a question, uh, we're not taking calls today, but uh, don't forget the webpage, WHK1420 Local Podcast, Tim Hayes, Smart Investor Show. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, if you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And uh, once again, you know, if you want to have a cup of coffee, I uh, talked about your portfolio. We got to stand six feet apart, but uh, uh, I actually had some pretty good uh, conversations last couple of weeks. So, um, you know, just you just go to WHK fourteen twenty local podcast down to Smart Investor Show, uh, and you go right to my webpage from there. And by the way, while you're there, take a look at Bob Dickey. He's our head technical analyst, the daily technical analysis and and insights. I think you'll find that there's some really good information on that that page. I mean, that's just, that's just phenomenal information. So. Uh, I think that that would be a great idea. Uh, and by the way, if you go to Insights, there's all sorts of contact me and email needs, you know, so uh, feel free to get, give me a, uh, a call. Um, anyway, you know, I was just looking at things and uh, I was looking at dynamic asset level investing. And one of the things, a lot of people there, out there are bearish. And, you know, I, I get it. Uh, everybody's got a reason to be, you know, they're paranoid, whatever, you know, the election, et cetera, et cetera. But look, one of the things that's happening, and we've been shouting this out for about three months now, is dynamic asset level investing has domestic equities, uh, actually it's two and a half months, as the number one asset class. As long as that's going to happen, I don't think there's going to be a uh, crash, okay? If it changes, we'll let you know. That's why you got to listen to the show on Saturdays. But I think what you want to do is pay particular attention to this, okay? But so it still ranks number one. Now, the other thing I've noticed is that you know, if we look at the zone theory, which uh, Jim Yates uh, from the option report in the old days, a great guy, by the way, uh, met him, had dinner with him a couple of times He's, uh, back when I was with Lehman Brothers in Chicago. Uh, you know, uh, he puts the zones into six different zones. And why does he do that? Well, there's six standard deviations. OK, so what you do is in the sixth zone, you would write calls against the stock. In zone one and two, you would buy calls. OK. So, uh, look, most of the stocks in the S&P 500 are in two, three, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, two, three, and five 
I'm three, four, and five. I'm sorry. Uh, it's Saturday. Anyway, so uh, we, we don't have many overbought stocks, and we don't have many oversold stocks. Uh, so we're kind of, you know, in the middle. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this week, the bullish percent turned up. Uh, last week, we told you the S&P 500 turned up. Now the, the, the whole group did. And uh, we were up 7.5% to 54, which is mid-ground, so it's not a bad position to be in. Um, the, the, the other news is the over-the-counter or the small stocks turned back up at 46. And that's a really, you know, that's a, even a better place to buy. And then the world index turned up. I know, I'm sorry, the world index stayed in X is O's, uh, but it was up three and it's within one percentage point of turning up, which would be extremely positive. So uh, three of the four major bullish indicators went into a column of O's, uh, X's this week. All right. So what is the bullish percent? The bullish percent was simply designed by Ernie Stabey back in, in the 30s. And he wanted to be bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top. So he, he like point, every other point in figure charts, he put X's and O's down. And with each move up, put another X, with each move down, an O. And so what he did was he looked at all the stocks out there that had, were on point and figure buys and sells. And when they're, they're buying them up, calm up, you keep putting X's up. When they start selling off, which happens probably twice as fast as the move up, he puts an O on, okay? There's two, level, two or three levels here you're going to be concerned with. 30 is when below 30, you're looking for things that go below 30 and then turn back up. Uh, like in the spring, we got down to three or four, which is the lowest level I've ever can remember. And then we turned back up. And people were sitting on their hands. They were scared to death. That's when you want to be, that is when you want to be greedy. That is when you want to be greedy, okay? But when we get over 70 and everybody's talking about their portfolio, we're just at 80 this summer, okay? And I said, it's overdone. I, you know, I, I said the FANG stocks were overdone big, okay? And, and they're starting to drift back. All right, that's when you want to be scared. So when everybody else is greedy, you want to be scared. And by the way, column of O's doesn't say you have to, you know, you have to sell everything. It just means you've got to pay more attention to the market at that point. Okay, so uh, we're in a column of O's. Uh, I mean, a column of X's again. So we we have the offensive team on the field. We're at midfield. Okay, so what we're looking for, you know, right now, I think, is that maybe kick a field goal. So we're going to be have a little bit more conservative, you know, play. All right. Uh, be a little bit smart about things. All right. So there we go. Uh, now, if I look at dynamic asset level investing, investing, you know, these, the environmental, social and governance portfolios are getting a lot of money. And I'm going to tell you that clean energy is uh, Jayco Solar. OK, I bought a little bit in the 20s. It didn't do anything for three months. It went from the mid 20s. And this, I only did it for eight or nine accounts. This was you know, purely a speculation. It went from 20 to 55 in, in three weeks. All right. So that's what's happening out there with clean, clean energy. And so there's a lot of clean energy type uh, uh, ETFs. So I've got the three best and uh, I'm not telling you what they are. <laughs> that's for you guys. You know, if you're getting free information, you got to do it yourself. Uh, anyway, so clean energy is by far the leading group, especially for the quarter. Uh, and I, I would suggest that that's an area where you want to pay uh, particular attention to. Okay. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, look, we've had negative momentum now or, uh, for about five weeks on the Dow, and six weeks on the mid-cap, uh, and the X to large and the QQQs. It's starting to turn. So keep your fingers crossed, and uh, you know maybe we have a, a broad rally into the election. Usually, 
if you have a rally into the election with a bullish percent turning, this is very positive for the Republican Party. Uh, because if, if we go into the election, uh, you'll see uh, uh, people changing their mind, I think. Uh, so domestic equity performance, large cap growth has been the place to be, obviously. That may be turning in that I'm seeing a lot of value stocks starting to turn up. I did see the most improved scores were in basic materials, uh, healthcare, and also uh, uh, industrials. So that's a real interesting scenario. Now, I looked at the sectors, and we still only have 13 sectors uh, positive. Now, we've moved up a little bit. Gaming's back up to 70, uh, so you kind of want to wait. I'm just talking about the favored sectors now. This is where you want to put your money, all right? And uh, gaming is at 70, so it's overbought, so you want to wait on that a little bit. Housing, building, and chemicals are at 64, so you want to wait on those a little bit. Leisure's at 60, so there's some names you might want to take a look at. And then textiles, autos. Uh, restaurants, computers, and steel are 55. Steel's interesting. You know, I'm starting to see some steel stocks break out, and that's really interesting. Retail's at 50. That's a good place to buy. Precious metals are at 44, a really good place to buy. And aerospace is at 34, uh, which is a pretty good place to buy. Now, we have five or six groups that are under 30 that are not favored. Let me say it again. They are not favored. And so you, you but you want to look for these to turn around, okay? Uh, one is uh, uh, the lowest or the highest ones are drugs, savings loan, and banks are at 30. Gas utilities are at 24. And then oil and oil service are at 16. So you're looking for them to turn around. That would be uh, very, very positive. Uh, I, I don't have much in the bull confirmed status, but I, I did notice, um, uh, you know, if, if you look, steel and housing went to the, the highest favorite and leisure went to uh the second highest favor financials are average and medical stocks uh and media stocks are totally unfavored so those are the big changes for the week you know and look i i continue to look at international equities and i just keep seeing stuff and you know it really is important to be in the right country because if you're not if you're in an overall you know uh type portfolio it's hard to make money uh, but if you're in the right, if you're in the right country, you're going to make a lot of money. And I've got ten that are really doing well, ten they're doing average, ten they're doing way well below average, or no, fourteen that are below, below average. So it really depends on where you are. As far as fixed income is concerned, I still think convertible securities and preferreds. Uh, and believe me, I've got uh, really good ideas there. Now I was looking at commodities this week and. I, the, the crude oil continuous has been negative for 14 weeks now, and it, it, it's on the verge of starting to turn. Same with gold. So it'll probably depend on a weaker dollar. Uh, we don't know that. But we saw uh, oil and energy-related funds struggle to remain positive on the quarter this week. But the worst-performing fund in our study was the Credit Suisse oil fund, and it had a quarterly loss of 3.37%. But, you know, I'm starting to see some things I like uh, as as you know, we get more oversold, so we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I, I looked at uh, relative strength, and, you know, we always talk about relative strength, and relative strength is just simply a measure of how a stock does when it's performing against a certain uh, other group. Well, in this case, it's the equal-weighted S&P 500. So uh, when you have relative strength buy signals, these could last for a while. Danaher's been on one since, I think, 2001. Um, 
so uh, some of these are names that you want to jot down. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I do my own homework, but uh, th- these could be turning points. Aztec Industries, Cleveland Cliffs, local company. Been in, a lot of insider buying there, too. Dillard's, Dorman Products, IDT, made a big move this week. NXP Semiconductors, uh, Stanley Black & Decker, Transact Technology, the Timken Company, another local company, uh, Voxel Jet, uh, Magnite, which is a little technology company, MI Holdings, which is in the real estate business, Boot Barnes, and Triumphant Bank Corp. Now, when we go to sell signals, it's a different story, okay? Uh, you know, you don't have to sell the stock. Sometimes these get acquired, by the way, but you, you want to pay particular attention. Cisco Systems, the technology company, went to a sell. EPR Properties, IMAX, uh, IMAX Theaters, Madison Square Garden, uh, United Natural Foods, Vectoris, Edis Medicine, uh, Wave V, uh, Life, another biotech, Kayla Pharmaceuticals, another bi- biotech. So those are names that are uh, kind of important. Now, I did notice a couple other things, uh, you know, and, and I think these are kind of interesting. I talked about clean energy, and clean energy has been one of the big winners for, for uh, you know, you know, this this period of time. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues. But also, you know, I can also now build a portfolio using Dor- Dorsey Wright and, and RBC's information around factor investing. And we started to do that in the last couple of weeks. And I think that's uh, uh, something that people should pay very close attention to because I think it's, it's a great way uh, to make money. It also puts you in the, in the hot seat, you know, where you want to be. So we'll talk about that later. In the meantime, uh, let's take a break. We'll come right back with insider buying and uh, some of uh, what Bob Dickey's thinking. And uh, so stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Don't forget the webpage, WHK1420. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, and if you just tuned in, once again, uh, Go to WHK 1420's uh, AM's webpage and uh, go to the local podcast down to Smart Investor Show Tim Hayes, and you go right to my webpage. Uh, and I would highly suggest the uh, on the bulletin board right on the right-hand side is Bob Dickey's daily technical analysis. It's great stuff. Sometimes if you see the market, you'll understand better than just talking about it. And then we, all, we also have a, a, a weekly newsletter there, uh, which I think you all, you'll like. And they have some stuff about... Uh, you know, interest rates and, and uh, uh, cybersecurity that I think you'll like too. But go under insights because insights got a lot of good information, folks. And, the, and then it also has ways to contact me uh, all over the page. So if, you, if you'd like to have a portfolio discussion, please give me a call um, or just email me. I, I think it works that way too. <laughs> anyway, we, we always talk about uh, – insiders on this show and uh you know look let's let's repeat what we say every week insiders are always early okay insiders uh you know tend to be uh very very uh well let's just put this way we don't want uh to uh be buying things just to buy them we'd like to see other people buy them with us because you know, you, you sell for a lot of reasons, but you buy for one, okay? And that is to make money, 
<laughs> All right. So ins- insiders can sell because they need a Porsche or they need a house on the coast of Marseille, whatever. Anyway, I, I noticed something this week. Starboard value. So last week we had uh, our friends at Tryon buy Janus and, and Invesco. Big positions. And now Starboard Value has bought Cativa, which was a spinoff from Dow and DuPont, and on Semiconductor. And they've had a really good record with, uh, you know, Semiconductor stocks. So uh, they took big positions in them, and just something to write down, I guess. Uh, a couple other names. Uh, James Flynn, who is a director uh, of Oncorus, which came public last week, uh, bought a million shares at 15, and um, uh, and then Luke Evnen, which who's another director, he bought uh, 151,000 shares to the tune of 2.6 million. We had one other, and I can't find it. <laughs> so as soon as I do, I'll let you know. Uh, and then we had Arcus Biosciences, which was uh, you know a, a $30 stock dropped to around 24 and a half. And uh, two, uh, two directors, Jonathan Silverstreams, and then. Orbamed Advisors, which is very smart money, they both bought about 500,000 shares or $12.5 million worth. Um, so you like, you like seeing when stocks come down, you know, directors. Orbited is very smart money, by the way. Uh, and then we had a couple others. Um, Logic Bio, you know, it was another one that dropped from the $9 area down to 6 And uh, Everest Shimovitz bought uh, $8.8 million, and so did Orbamed Advisors. <laughs> so they were quite active last week, uh, buying when things were down, as you're supposed to, folks. Buy low, sell high, remember? And Element Solutions, uh, Martin Frankel, uh, uh, Franklin, I'm sorry, who's a very bright guy, bought 500,000 shares to the tune of $5.7 million. And then we had several buys in a company called Selecta Biosciences, another stock that was trading around, I don't know, 260, 270, fell down to two bucks. And uh, Tim Springer, a director, bought 2 million shares, 3.3 million. Uh, I actually bought uh, uh, another million dollars the other day, and well, he, he bought quite a bit. He bought uh, $2.7 million the other day. So we're seeing quite a bit of activity from uh, Mr. Springer. And then uh, we had uh, Churchill Capital, which is what they call a SPAC, all right? A SPAC is where you raise the money first and you buy something later. And uh, a director, uh, Michael Klein, bought uh, $2.7 million worth. And Mark Klein, his brother, bought $2.7 million worth. Uh, actually, they bought $5 million worth each. I'm sorry. They did it, did it twice. It screwed me up, but I didn't look far enough down. And then, um, uh, let's see here. We had, uh, oh, here it is. Uh, M. Mamune. Uh, we had uh, Michael Rapp, who's a very smart guy, by the way, bought a million dollars worth. Uh, he came out. Of, that, that was another new issue. So they're buying the stuff in the open market, which is very positive. And Pulmonx, uh, which is uh, in you know pulmonary uh, lung cancer stuff. We had uh, Dana Mead buy some, a half a million dollars worth. Uh, Georgia Mellon, uh, don't even another lady. <laughs> I can't pronounce her name. I'm sorry. Dan Florin uh, buy $200,000 worth. Uh, Richard Ferrari buy another $250,000 worth. So I thought that was fairly interesting. And uh, also, um, this is kind of really interesting. It's the Sprout Focus Trust Fund. And it's basically a, uh, a fund that deals with precious metals. 
And the fund manager, uh, George Whitney, uh, bought $450,000 worth, and then he bought another 110000 worth two, two days later. So uh, that, that's kind of interesting. And then finally, um, the Liquidity Services, which is uh, a company, uh, it's an Internet retailer. Uh, we had Bill Argrick, who's the chairman and CEO. He bought three times to the tune of uh, $389,000 each time, uh, which turns out to be about a million bucks. So uh, some very interesting stuff going on there. Now, um, you know, we've – look, this has been a really volatile month. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it, you know, September, September we get kind of wiped out. We went straight up in August. You know, uh, so October has been a month of uh, high volatility and with uncertain, uncertainty in many areas. And, and under the already high volatility, the month could be – kind of testing for investors. However, remember this. October, the market usually bottoms. It, it doesn't, it usually peaks in the summer, it peaks in August, okay, and it bottoms in October. So if you have cash that's dry right now, make a list. Check it twice. Make sure you're not naughty or nice, right? So you have a chance to buy here, okay? So remember, you buy on All Souls Day, and go away the 1st of May, okay? You buy on All Souls Day, you go away on the 1st of May. So, look, I think uh, we could be setting up a range, but it doesn't mean the market can't, uh, uh, you know, you, you can't make money because there are stocks, believe me, I'm making money. Uh, <laughs> and a lot, you know, I think you're also going to go back and think of what we said here. Biotechnology, we've had 13, 14 deals. Obviously, they're undervalued. And then, the Mark Mahaney and Matt Hedberg stuff, the digital stuff is working, okay? It's working. I've got my clients lined up on them, and uh, I'll just leave it at that. So it's unusual uh, when you have daily uncertainties and apparent risks are on the minds of many, I mean, causing a generally bearish opinion to sell logo Wall Street. And what we have here is we have, oh, uh, we got the co coronavirus, we have... We have the election, uh, you know, uh, the Republicans are panicking, like the Democrats are smiling too much, I think. And, and the short-term market was overbought for a short period of time. Then it got, you know, it got hammered a little bit. So the question is, is it still over, overbought? I, look, I think it's a, it's a very bullish one, to our 12-year bullish channel. And I think we're in a secular bull market. So don't get too negative. Everybody else is, all right? That's one of the, the, the most positive thing that the stock market can do is go up. No matter what you think, if it's going up and you're not there, it's your fault, not the stock markets, okay? So the most positive thing that the stock market can do is go up, and it's going up. <laughs> so either be there or be square, as they say uh, somewhere. I don't know. That's my kid says it all the time. Um, anyway, so I think you just got to be paying more attention to what, uh, you know, Look, there's lots of bad news. You want you want people being bearish. When you're investing, you want your stomach to to flutter a little bit when you when you you know say, hey, okay, go buy it, okay. And I got a lot of good ideas, especially in the dividend area that look fantastic. So, look, you know, everybody was talking last week, you know, that uh, you know we had a big up day and then we had a big down day after that. Look, a trend is not made by one day of trading in the markets, but yesterday's Action looked a little bit top. I mean, uh, Thursday's action looked a little toppy. Uh, 
I'm, I'm sorry, that was Wednesday, Jacksonville, little toppy. And then Thursday, you know, we had a big day up. So one day does not make, uh, you know, anything. Okay. It's just, it's just one day. Uh, you know, that's why we look at charts. We're looking, we're looking for, you know, breakouts and breakdowns. And I would suggest, this Tim Hayes' personal opinion, that if we were to break 2850, 28,500 on the Dow, we would have a nice breakout. If we broke 28,700, we'd, we'd have a breakout. We'd be back in an uptrend line, okay, above the uptrend line. That'd be very, very positive. So um, I, I, would, I would suggest we're at 2856, so we've broken the one barrier. Now we've got to break the other, okay? And, uh, you know, if it happens, if it happens. But with the bullish percent turning, uh, it's a very positive thing. Now, we did have the bullish percent make a series of lower highs, topped at 85 and topped at 70. So if we go up and hit 66, then we might have to worry about the downside a little bit. Uh, but I do think there'll be some money made in the meantime. Uh, so it's more of a shorter-term trading type of scenario. So, look, what, what would I do right now? I think the dividend stocks are extremely cheap, and nothing stays cheap for long on Wall Street, okay? Uh, so the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list are great ideas. You know, the other thing I keep talk, I forget to talk about, but uh, our top ideas are multi-asset portfolio. Uh, so we're, we're throwing large caps, mid caps, and small caps in there. We've had we've hit some home runs, <laughs> just some big time home runs. Uh, that's something you want to take a look at. Uh, so uh, also our business owner's guide to transition planning. You guys out there, you're going to sell a business, private equity. You know, get a second opinion. That's trust me on that one. Get a second opinion. I got some people you can talk to. It also helps you, you know, figure out the insurance things and that type of thing. And folks, interest rates are as low as they're going to be. Lock in a long-term in, uh, a loan at this point. And we have the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook. Also, you know, uh, look at Bob Dickey's stuff and insights. The insight tab on my webpage is worth its weight in gold. In the meantime, you get all that, go to my webpage. Like I said, in the meantime, uh, the bullish percent has turned up. We've got the ball. We have the offensive team on the field. How long it's going to last, I ain't making any promises. But the offensive team should be on the field. You know, as I say it again, the most positive thing, the most bullish thing the stock market can do or your stock can do is go up. And if they're going up and you're not, you're not where, you don't make any money. All right? In the meantime, have a great weekend. This is the Smart Investor Show. My name is Tim Hayes. Remember to buy low and sell high.